The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Mike Berbiglia, there's two kinds of people in this world. You have earlies and you have ladies. That's with a T. You have early people and you have late people. So the early people, the ones that show up way before the time that's appointed, they're called the earlies. I am not one of those people. And those of you that know me know that that's true. And then there's a second group of people who I identify with proudly, and they're called the laties, right? We show up whenever, or whenever, as the kids say, right? So just by a show of hands, uh, wherever you are joining us on this weekend service, if you're an early, would you put your hand up in the air? I'd just like to know who I'm talking to, right? Just keep them up just for a second, if you will. You're the people that show up maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, sometimes, if you're my in-laws, two hours in advance, right? <laughs> All right, you can put your hands down. That's great. That's great. Who's with me? Who shows up either right on time or five minutes after? The ladies, my people. Thank you. Now, there's another little thing that we need to know is apparently the earlies hate the ladies. Can we say that this is true? Yeah, all right. Hate is a sin. So I just want to say on behalf of those of us that maybe are late, there's sometimes a reason that we're late. Number one is we don't want to be there with you. Just kidding. That's not true. We've got issues. I've got issues. I married into an early's family, and uh, our children are schizophrenic, <laughs> right? And so, honestly, though, what I've discovered about this whole being on time, I'm not always late. Now, I know some, yes, you are, right? And if you talk to Pastor Tim, when he and I, over, I think it was thir- over 13 years ago, we started working together. He is Dutch. You didn't catch that. Pastor Tim, part of the leadership of the tabernacle, the leadership team, right? He is Dutch, which means they're earlier than the earlies. And he was always frustrated by the ladies or just the on-time people because he would spend about 15 minutes alone after the appointed time until he finally just set his watch accordingly. And now uh, we love each other, right? But I figured something out about this whole early, late thing is I'm not always late. It depends on what it is, right, ladies, ladies, I should say. It depends on what it is. And, and if I was just to sell myself out for a second, if it's something that I really, really, really care about, oh, it's immediate. It's early. It's on time. 
How early can I be? I wouldn't dare be late for something. I mean, I think back to my own dating life. I didn't show up late. Are you kidding? She had smitten my heart and I was all, you know, Twitter-pated. To borrow a term from Bambi, right? I wasn't late for that because I wanted to impress her. And so sometimes, and not all the time, some of us, there's actually a uh, medical condition for those of us that think we have more time than we do. And I think I have that, right? I try to squeeze more into whatever I've got to do before I leave the house, right? And that's a medical condition, so pray for me. But, you look it up, don't do it right now though, because that would be a distraction. But, when it's a priority, when it's a priority, we tend to have more of an immediate or an urgency about watching the clock. This has everything to do with what we're talking about today. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 1, where we pick up Mark's gospel, and it's been subtitled, The Time Has Come, and and we had mentioned that all throughout this gospel, we see this word immediate or immediately, and in the Greek, the word for immediately or immediate or straight away appears over 40 times. In fact, in the verses that we're going to read in this service, it appears three times in eight verses. And so just to give context, so we're all up to speed, last week we talked about how Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would come and that a messenger would come before him. And the messenger, when the time came, the time was fulfilled for God to fulfill his prophecy and to send his son into the world and to declare himself. This John the Baptist came preaching and baptizing. And immediately after that, Jesus came. And Jesus was baptized. And immediately when he came out of the water, something really cool happened. God the Father spoke from heaven. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And everyone was pointing in that passage to Jesus. And so that's where we pick up the story. We'll start in verse 12. After the baptism of Jesus. It says, the Spirit, and that's speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, speaking of Jesus. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you're like, wait, wait, what? Wait, what? There's a lot packed into those verses right there. We'll get back to that here in a second. Verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will Make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. And so we see that word immediate and immediately popping up. And there are three vignettes. And remember Mark or John Mark, the friend of Peter who's writing this gospel for us. There's an urgency to his writing and we see it right here. He doesn't give us a lot of detail. 
In fact, to get all the detail, you have to read some of the other Gospels to kind of fill in some of the blanks because 40 days and there's temptation and Satan's there and there are angels ministering to him. Don't worry about that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is preaching and John's arrested. Whoa, how about a little bit of detail? It's like reading the ticker on the bottom of the news channels. Don't do that this week. Don't do that next week. It's just be up to, right? It's just constant. And you don't get a lot of detail, you just get little blips. And so to recap what happens, it starts by saying that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Now another translation for that is compelled him to go. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. Jesus is led by the Spirit and the Spirit drives him. In another gospel it says he led him into the wilderness. And in obedience to God his Father, the Spirit leads and Jesus goes. He's driven out into the wilderness. And there's a reason he goes into the wilderness. And that's to be tempted, to face temptation. When we put all the gospels together, we learn that Jesus actually fasted for 40 days. He was on some type of a spiritual vision quest. He was out there to, in preparation for his ministry. He's right after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness to fast. And in his weakened state, and not just at the end, but all throughout, he is tempted by Satan himself. Scriptures record three of the temptations, but we believe, according to what Mark says, he was tempted throughout. So he's hungry, he's tired, he's alone, he's out there with the wild animals. This isn't deer camp. It's on. It's the battle royale. And we know that he withstood the test. Jesus never sinned. And somehow during that time, Mark tells us that angels ministered to him during that time. You know, it's interesting how many times after a big spiritual experience, have you ever had a big spiritual experience? You know, maybe it was when you were younger, or maybe you are young, you went to a youth camp, or maybe it was a conference, or maybe it was something crazy that happened in your life, and you had to cling to God, and then, you you know, whatever it was, it was a moment where you saw God moving, or heard His voice, and you responded, and you never felt more connected to God. Maybe it was right after you got baptized this summer. Whatever spiritual experience it is, it's interesting how temptation always comes right after. Right after. Right? When you're up on that mountaintop, on that high, and it's like the enemy's there to kick the stool out from underneath you. Well, Jesus withstands the test. And then it says that somewhere along the lines, John, who would, remember he said, I must decrease and he must increase. John is arrested and then Jesus begins to preach. And what Jesus says is important. Don't miss his words. He says, the time is fulfilled. Translation, the time has come. The time is now. Now it's on. Had the baptism, affirmed by my father. Everybody's pointed at me. I've withstood the test. That's to strengthen me for my ministry. Now the fasting's over. John's out of the picture. The way is prepared. And he arrives on the scene. And this is a summary of all of Jesus' teaching. But the first words out of his mouth, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He says, now is the time. It's a present tense. You want to know what God's like? You know what his kingdom's like? Here it is. And this is how you enter it. 
And he says that we should repent and believe the gospel. He's picking up where John left off, but he's taking it to its fullest level. The kingdom is now repent and believe. And there's an urgency. There's an urgency when he says now's the time. Now is the time. Now is the time 2,000 years ago. Now's the time for us. Now is the time. And then immediately afterwards, there's that word, he starts gathering his posse, doesn't he? You know what I mean by a posse? His crew, his team, his tribe, the disciples. That's what we are. We're part of that crew. We're part of that tribe. We're part of that posse. It says he calls Simon and Andrew, their brothers, their fishermen. They're the everyman. They're the, they're the working guy. And he calls these guys who immediately leave their boats and they follow him. He tells them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's more than just a play on words. He's got plans for them. He's got a purpose for them. He's got something for them to do. And I don't know, did they know him prior? The other gospels seem to say that maybe they did or maybe they'd heard some of his preaching. Because remember, Mark is just hitting the highlight reel. He's going quickly. But if all scripture is God-breathed and there's no wasted words in scripture, Mark wanted us to feel the urgency. Right? Baptism, temptation, preaching, calling. And their response was immediate. Not just Peter and Andrew, but also James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Four fishermen who leave their debt. They, they leave the family business. Have you ever been on a job before and you know your kids are helping you and they leave early to go watch a TV show and you're like, hey, where are you going? We haven't put the tools back yet. Sorry, I'm using the pulpit as a weapon right now. But... Uh, some other guy's kids, not mine, right? You're left putting everything away, right? These brothers, these two sets of brothers, immediately, there was something about Jesus, something about the call, something about the power, something about the purpose, something about maybe it was a desire in their heart that matched who he was. Was it in his character? We know one thing, it was immediate. It was immediate. They didn't delay. And for me, these eight verses, for us, for our church, for, for me personally, for my family, for my marriage, for my friendships and relationships, for my work and my job, I'm talking about me first, but I believe us, we, you as well, I think there's a clear message for all of us. That message is this, that the gospel requires... Immediate obedience. The gospel requires immediate obedience. Now, before I flesh that out, be careful of something. It may sound simple, but remember, simple isn't always easy. And let's understand what I mean when I say that the gospel requires immediate obedience. You see, some of us, when we hear the word gospel, we think of a time when we first heard about Jesus. And we go, I heard the gospel and I already responded. That was years ago. No, I believe that the gospel requires an ongoing immediate obedience. There's an immediacy, there's an urgency to the gospel. 
And when I lose sight of that, that's when I get complacent. That's when I give in to temptation. That's when I forget the calling. That's when I don't immediately respond to the still, small voice of God that speaks to all of us in whom the Holy Spirit rests. So when I say the gospel requires, I'm talking about living a life that is shaped by the gospel, not just a moment with the gospel. And yes, that, that's important. And, and anyone that's with us this weekend that maybe you don't know Jesus, we encourage you to give your life to Jesus and respond to the gospel to the very first time. But I do want to tell you and to everyone else that the gospel requires immediate obedience and it's ongoing It's ongoing. And why do I say require? I'm not trying to say that, well, you just get one shot and if you, you don't miss, you know, if you miss that one shot, then you'll never get another opportunity. I'm not trying to say that. Although you only get one shot at this life to respond to that. What I mean is to experience the fullness of everything that the gospel promises. Relationship with God. His presence in my life. His power Not just in my view, but experiencing it. His redemption of every aspect of my life. What the gospel promised when Jesus said in John 10.10, I've promised you life, that you would have life, and that you would have it abundantly, or some translations that you would have it to the full. Many people call themselves Christians, but they don't experience full life or abundant life. That's the promise of the gospel, but it requires... Immediate obedience. If you were here last week or you listened or watched online, you heard me say that I think some of us have played around with God long enough. And I meant it. I meant it. We don't get to play around with God. The gospel requires immediate obedience. And if I look at this passage and I match it up to my life, there's... There's three areas where I see that the gospel requires this immediate obedience. The first one is when I face temptation. When I face temptation. So we see Jesus driven out by the Spirit, led out by the Spirit. He's out there in the middle of nowhere and he's on a fast. That means he's not going to eat for 40 days. He's not eating anything. So he's in a weakened state. I've been in a weakened state sometimes just because I'm too busy. Sometimes because life gets me down. Right? Because I'm going through a hard time. It's been difficult at work or difficult at home or both. Right? Or my team's not winning games because we can't score goals or whatever that is. Right? Whatever it is that puts us in that weakened state emotionally or physically. Maybe it's hardship or illness. Right? It's loss. And when temptation comes, the gospel requires me to be immediately obedient. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. It was a setup. So besides the fact that he's hungry, besides the fact that he's probably lonely, it's, I mean, it's a, he's in a dangerous situation. Satan himself comes, and what's recorded in the other Gospels are three clear temptations. The first one had something to do with, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn these to- stones to bread? I know you're hungry. I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus responded with Scripture and resisted the temptation. He said, no, I'm on a fast. And he quoted a scripture about man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. And then it says that Satan then took him to a high place. He took him to the top of the temple where where there was this 
huge drop-off, and below the bottom of the temple was another cliff. That's where we believe he went. And he, he kind of dared Jesus. Why don't you just step off from here? Just step out. Surely God's angels will catch you. He's basically saying, prove to me that you're the son of God, that you're so special and you're so important. Prove to me your faith in God that they'll preserve you. And again, Jesus resisted and he quoted more scripture to him. And finally, Satan took him to a high mountain, one of the highest mountains. We don't know what mountain it is. And somehow in the spirit world, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. Said, if you're the son of God, I'll give you all of these. But all you have to do is bow down to me. And that temptation had to do with, look at the beauty and the power and the magnificence. We don't need a cross. We don't need the crucifixion. We don't need all the pain. We don't need the suffering. We don't need the obedience to God. Just bow down and I'll give it to you now. He offered him a shortcut. And again, our Lord resisted. And what's interesting about the temptations is that Jesus responded with immediate obedience to what God had forbidden, to what the Spirit had led, to what he knew his purpose and plan was, he immediately obeyed. Now watch this. None of the things that Jesus was tempted with were bad things. Bread's not bad. Unless you're gluten-free, apparently. It's not a bad thing to eat food. It's not a bad thing to be safe, to, hey, if you're going to fall off here to, to, to prove that, or to prove your faith that God will sustain you. That's not bad. We don't want Jesus to die or hurt himself. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. In fact, scripture says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That was his purpose anyway. He was just offered another way to get a good thing. And many times, isn't that how temptation comes? You know, it's not the demonic with the supposed horns and the big tail and the raging pitchfork of the cartoons, which isn't biblical anyways, by the way. It's not what he looks like. It's not a demon coming around the bush going, bah, and then it's like, yeah, I want to do that too, and carve 666 on my head. And, you know, it's, it's, okay, that happens sometimes. But usually for us, that's not what it is. Usually it's good things that become God things, and those are bad things. Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh. He was tempted with the pride of life. He was tempted with the lust of the eye. The same thing in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve was tempted with. When she saw that the fruit was good for food, lust of the flesh. And that it was pleasing to the eye, lust of the eye. And that it could give her wisdom, pride of life. She took it and ate it. What am I talking about? Every single one of us face temptation. Children face temptation. Students face temptation. Moms, dads, married people, single people, grandparents, saints, pastors, you name it. Scripture tells us in James chapter 4 verse 7, if we will resist the devil, he will flee from us. He will flee. After Jesus' temptation, because of his resisting of the devil, because of his immediate obedience, it says that Satan left him and the angels ministered to him. You see, when I'm in that moment of being tempted, whatever it is, the lust of my eye, lust of my flesh, or the pride of life, 
It makes sense in that moment, right? It makes sense to cut the corners. It makes sense to do it the easy way. It makes sense. I mean, come on. It's just one little thing. Sin never comes in like a wrecking ball. It always just kind of works his way in like a weed and it makes a crack in the sidewalk, doesn't it? It starts with a compromise instead of resistance. But there's a promise that if we will resist the devil, he will flee from us the same way he fled from Jesus. And in those moments that we're being tempted, we're not alone. We're not abandoned. Because apparently there were angels that were ministering to him. Some of us don't resist at all, and we haven't resisted in a long time. We've just kind of grown friendly with our sin. I had a pastor tell me one time that most of us, we don't need to be told what our sin is. We know. The problem is we just become friends with it. Become comfortable with it. The gospel requires immediate obedience when I face temptation. We also see this in Jesus' preaching, the immediate obedience that's required there when he said, the time has come. The time has come to do what? The time has come for what? The time has come for the kingdom of God. You know, we pray the prayer, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Do we really mean it? And I think sometimes when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're talking about thy kingdom come someday. Do you know when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is right now. It's right now. Yes, there's a kingdom of God that will be fulfilled in its fullness someday when Jesus comes on a white horse. But as his spirit lives in us, because of what Jesus did, because of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is right now. It starts right there. He's he's not a liar. The kingdom of God is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. How does it come? How does the kingdom of God come to my life and my home and my job and my work and in my friendships? How does the kingdom of God come in our communities whether it's in Manistee or in Buckley or in Manton or if it's in Traverse City or I don't know how far south they're coming, but how does the kingdom of God come to those places when people repent and believe the gospel, believe that he's the son of God, really believe it? And it's a continual thing. Remember, it's not just that one-time thing a long time ago. Well, I was baptized when I was six. I was born and raised in the church. I repented a long time ago. You haven't repented since? Oh, you're really jacked up then. Because what I found is the Christian life is a life of continual repenting. Yes, I turned from the first time, for the first time from the world to God when I was about six years old. But I have to continually turn from the world, from idols, from my flesh, from distraction, from complacency, from selfishness, from pride, from lust from greed, from bitterness, from anger. Because it always reads its ugly, or rears its ugly head, doesn't it? Well, maybe I'm the only one. Repentance, that's what Jesus came preaching. He said, repent and believe. And when we repent, repent means to turn from. When I said last week that a lot of us have been playing around with God for a long time, this is what I meant. I'm facing my sin... But I've never really turned from that sin, whatever that sin is. Oh, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but the direction that I'm going, all I do is ask forgiveness and ask forgiveness and ask forgiveness, but I keep doing it again. I keep doing it again. There's never a turning. There's never a turning away. That's what repentance is. True repentance is, yeah, God, forgive me of that. I'm going to turn to you to fulfill 
the needs of my physical body. To provide me with bread, to provide me the love that I need, to provide the hope or the safety or the security or all the things we go chasing after sin to get, right? And so when I repent, I turn from my idols and I turn to him to fulfill your plan for when this kingdom shows up. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus turned away from the temptation and he turned to God. I'll trust God for bread. I will trust God to sustain me if I fall. I will trust his purpose and plan in the cross. I'm not going to bow down to you, Satan. And the same thing is true for us. The same formula. Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are. He didn't have a leg up because he was the son of God. He was fully God and fully man. That's a whole nother sermon right there. Go figure that out. It'll give you a headache as you go to sleep tonight. But what that means is although he was fully God, he was fully man. So he was tempted in the exact same way as I'm tempted and you're tempted and every single one of us are tempted and yet he turned from the temptation and you and I are called to repent to turn from our sin and believe that God is enough that his love is enough that his provision is enough that his timing is enough that his plan is enough and not just enough but it's better and that's hard that's difficult but it requires our immediate obedience. When sin's exposed in our life, it requires our immediate obedience. Many of you have heard me pray more than once is, is I'll end a prayer. And I'm not trying to be sing-song. I really mean this, but it's, a, it's an expression that I grew up hear, hearing. And, 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 and it's asking God for his help or asking God to strengthen us and, or, or to be obedient. And I'll often say, Lord, this is for your glory and our joy. Have you heard me say that before? Have you heard me say that? It's for your glory, God, that we ask this and our joy. And that's what turning from sin is. God doesn't tell us what sin is because he's some crotchety, mean, old grandpa that doesn't want to let you have a good time. Don't touch any of my stuff. He's not that guy. My obedience to God is for his glory and it's for my good, which is my joy. That's what he's saying. And in everything that God forbids us to do, it's because he has something better for us. But it requires our immediate obedience. And I'm thinking how many times I've been in a parking lot, especially when our kids were young, right? And they're all excited wherever we're going. We're going to the movies or we're going to, I don't know, the grocery store. We're going to whatever. It's a busy part. It's Meyer, which means I'll have to be rebaptized afterwards, right? And you try to get the car doors open and the kids, they start running, right? And they run between that area between the cars and you know where they're going. They're going towards danger. You know those horrifying moments when you hear a car and your son or daughter, they're flying this way and you're like, no, no, no. Why are you freaking out telling them no? Because you don't want to see them get hurt. It's the same thing. That's why God requires our immediate obedience. It's for our good. It's for our joy and it's for his glory. And we see that, that Jesus did that. And then at the last part of this passage that we read, we see that Jesus, he calls and there's an immediate response. He's got a plan for Peter and Andrew. He's got a plan for James and John. And he's thinking, what better group of guys to start out a movement with than some guys that no one will see coming? Where other 
passage just says about these guys. They were uneducated and illiterate. They were ignorant. They were ordinary. Sounds like me. At least how I feel sometimes. And they're fishermen. And he calls them. He says, come and follow me. Come and be mine. I've got a plan for you. I've got a calling for you. I'm putting a call on your life. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And there's not a lot that the disciples get right. You're going to find that out as we go through the book of Mark. They're kind of thick-skulled. They step in it all the time. They're endearing that way. But this one thing they get right immediately, they drop their nets and they follow. Because the gospel requires immediate obedience. It requires immediate obedience. The calling of the gospel requires immediate obedience. And so when I said some of us have played around with God long enough, it's, it's, it's we've played church long enough. We've played be a good person long enough. You go to church and you're a good person, good for you. Have you answered the call? Have you said, here am I, send me? Have you said, I'll follow and go wherever you want me to go? That's what these four original disciples did. They left everything. They didn't even help their dad put their stuff away. They didn't wait for a convenient time. They didn't dilly-dally. They didn't go, let me pray about it. Wouldn't that have been classic? The son of God asked some like religious dudes, come follow me and be my disciples. You know what, uh, Jesus, I hear you're kind of a big deal. I need to pray about this for a minute. In fact, I'm going to take a week. I'm going to pray and fast. I'm going to go into the wilderness for 40 days. God forbid, I hope they get eaten by animals if they do that, right? No angels ministering out there. But these guys get this right. The gospel is in flesh in front of their eyes. And immediately they obey it. And they don't wait for convenience. They don't wait for a better idea or a better offer or when they're, you know, you know, until they're retired. They don't wait until, you know, that season of, of life is over. They don't wait until, well, let me finish this project. Well, you know, let me wait until whatever. They just immediately respond. And they follow. And they become fishers of men. Those ordinary, unschooled first fishermen are part of a movement that turned the world upside down. As we've said before, with God's help, they changed the calendar. The whole B.C. A.D. changeover. That's a time change. So what's God saying to us? He's saying that this gospel requires immediate obedience. And it's not easy. It's not easy. In fact, Brian, Pastor Brian uh, preached a message. Uh, I think it was in January. We're in the book of Joshua. You guys remember this? When we first started talking about immediate obedience with the children of Israel, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast or watch it on the vodcast. It's online. But one of the things he said is, this is what's required of immediate obedience. And I commend the sermon to you. Because he said, in order to be immediately obedient and to live a life of immediate obedience, it requires faith. Really believing that Jesus is God and that God says, or God is who he says that he is and will do what he says he'll do. But it also requires selflessness because oftentimes that's why I procrastinate. Because my selfishness gets in the way. That's why I delay in my obedience to God. Because I've got some other things I gotta do. Or it's maybe not comfortable yet. So it requires faith, but it also requires selflessness. 
And in that sermon, he said it also requires commitment. Complete, utter, total commitment. And I believe that's what our study in the Gospel of Mark is going to continually reveal. It's going to make some of us really uncomfortable. Because you can hear it in Mark's writing. There's an urgency. Immediately, he was tempted. And he was immediately obedient to his father. And the devil fleed. And then immediately, he preaches. The kingdom is immediate. It's come. It's right now. Do what? What's so immediate? Repent and believe now. Turn away from this to that, to him. Do it now. Don't wait. Don't delay. And then we see the calling. Immediately he calls. See, some of us, we don't answer the calling because we don't think we have enough Bible verses yet. I haven't been in this church long enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. Well, it's been 10 years, pal. Well, I need to learn some more. No. Probably need to be taken to the woodshed. Not by me. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But I believe it's time for immediate obedience. Because when we're men and women of faith, when we're selfless, when we're committed, and we live lives responding to the gospel, wherever it shows up with immediate obedience, life gets a whole lot simpler. And that's the rest that Jesus promises us. That's the hear and do. I love the fact that that's what these guys do. They, they hear the word, they do the word. They hear the word, and they do the word. The disciples heard the word call them. Oh, you got a plan for me? I'm going to go do it right now. Bye, Dad. Bye, net menders. I got things I got to do. So, what's God saying to you about immediate obedience? Are you in a time right now where you're facing and losing and giving in to temptation? God calls us to immediate obedience. Here's the secret. Here's the life hack of how to Resist temptation. Resist it. Spirit doesn't show up to help until you resist. Just like it did with Jesus. Just like James promised. Maybe you're in a place where God's calling you to repent. Oh, it's hard to turn from that to this. What's the life hack to do that? You turn and you repent. It's worth it. And if he's worth it, that'll be worth it. And if we're hearers and doers that live lives responding to the gospel that requires immediate obedience, then we'll answer the call, whatever that call is. And I don't know how, I don't know how God's calling you. Maybe God's been calling you for a while. Maybe God placed a call on you a long time ago. Maybe it was to get involved. Maybe it was to share. Maybe it was to give. Maybe it was to help someone. Maybe it was to invite someone. We keep saying that because this is the time of year that so many people start getting back into the rhythm of things and getting back into a schedule. And this is a time. This is what we call an on-ramp. I don't care if it's a Manistee, Buckley, where you are. This is a time where people start making church a priority again. 
And I believe God's calling us as a church to be a part of that again by inviting people. It's the easiest way to answer the call that he's called all of us to be fishers of men. Are you going to be a fisherman or fisherwoman, a fisher kid, a fisher student? Are you going to join that call, answer that call? Maybe it's some other call. But the gospel requires our immediate obedience. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us at the tabernacle to care enough about you and to prioritize you enough that we would not be late, but instead that we would be early. That we would respond immediately to your gospel that requires that obedience because the time has come. It's right now. Help us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word for your glory and our joy. Amen. God bless you.